Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I took a recent trip to the Walt Disney World Resort and I uh, got to see a number of things and I wanted to provide a sort of trip review to talk about some of the things that I did, saw, and observed that I think might be of general interest. So I'll start off by telling you that I made it up there the week that uh, Pandora opened, the Land of Avatar. And unfortunately, I didn't make it into that area. Uh, the way the uh, Florida residents passes work that we purchased for my, for my son, he, was, he wasn't able to go into the Animal Kingdom. So we decided not to do that. And it's just as well because from what I gathered from other people who had gone in, it was uh, sometimes up to an hour wait just to enter the land if you didn't have a fast pass for something. Getting a fast pass was next to impossible because our trip was sort of a last minute planning thing. And the uh, wait times to see the two attractions there were uh, on the order of between three and four hours. So between all of those things, I made a decision that we're going to wait and see it again sometime in October or November the next time I go. So that'll, uh, that'll have to wait. So I don't have any information about Pandora other than what my friends John and Mike shared. And uh, a couple of things that I'll share with you that another friend of mine told me about. Now, as it happens, some other friends of mine who used to be cast members were up at the parks. So I got a chance to see them and spend a little time with them. We were having an interesting conversation about a lot of different things related to Disney and how Disney has changed. We were all cast members in the early 1990s, and it was interesting to see how things have evolved over time. The way that cast members work in the parks, the way the parks work, the extra things that they've added, all these little nickel and dimey things that they've added to things, these extra experiences, the backstage uh, shuttles uh, to go directly between the uh, parks, the number of uh, things that they add as add-on experiences, the dessert parties, the magic bands, all of these things where they can catch a little bit more of your money. It's interesting how that's all evolved because it used to be more about the experience and just enjoying the parks. And now everything is so heavily planned and it's so different than the way it used to be. It takes some real getting used to. And for those of us who were longtime, longtime fans of the parks and one-time cast members, it's, it's just so different. It's kind of hard to take in. Now, my friends hadn't been there in over 10 years. So it uh, was kind of interesting to hear their perspective because they really hadn't seen it evolve. I go regularly, so I see it all the time. And I'm, you know, I'm getting to like certain aspects of like FastPass Plus and things like that. But it's interesting to do the planning and have to think it through. They had a whole thing they were doing because they were coming down and they bought the vacation package with the dining and everything else. They had the experience of trying to plan fast passes in advance and trying to decide where they wanted to go and which parks they wanted to go to and being a little less flexible than they like to be when they go to the parks. Now, after a couple of days there, they were there for about a week. They figured out how to separate things out and realize that they could be more flexible and cancel fast passes and create new ones and do some other things but it took a little getting used to. And uh, it's interesting how that works. Now, for me personally, what we did, we decided on, I think it was like a Wednesday. No, it was Tuesday that we decided we were going to go up on Wednesday. So we didn't have much time to plan 
for fast passes. And the other factor was my son didn't already have his ticket. So we couldn't just go ahead and put it in there and start planning for fast passes. So we get there and we, uh, we decide to get the fast, we, we get his ticket and we decide to get some fast passes. Now, first problem I had, I could not add his ticket to my Disney experience. I don't know why it was some quirky thing that was happening. I don't know if it was because of the spotty Wi-Fi, and believe me, I found a lot of spotty Wi-Fi. It was really challenging to try and deal with getting his ticket added, and I had to play around a lot to keep, you know, manipulating the system. And finally, I got it added. I had to go to a, one of the kiosks and actually try adding the fast pass that way, and then adding mine next to it. Then it recognized that they were both together, and then we put us on put us on the party, and we went back to the app. Then it was able to uh, to recognize that he was uh, he was associated with it, and I was able to put his his card number in and whatever. It was just it was really harder than I thought it should have been, and I don't know why it was so hard. It was just one of those challenges where I'm like, why is this so difficult? So we were able to plan for some fast passes along the way, and that's fine. It worked out okay. We kept checking back to see if certain things were available or when they'd be available, and we adjust our plans accordingly. We went to different parks or whatever that we needed to. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do was I wanted to eat at the Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater. I love that place. Haven't been there in a few years, so I thought it'd be fun, and I thought my son would get a kick out of it, so we decided to go there. And finding a reservation the same day was a little bit of a challenge. We wound up having to go a little bit later than we might have liked, so we were there about 9 o'clock or so. But I, it was funny because I was trying to get the reservation through my Disney experience, and every time I'd get close to getting the reservation, something would happen with the Wi-Fi, and it would just drop me offline, then it would lose the reservation. Uh, because remember that you have to uh, reserve it with a credit card as well. So to get the credit card information put in there, I don't usually store it in the app because I don't do that much with it. It's easy enough to just add a credit card when I'm going to do something like this. So it was easy enough to just do that. And every time I'd go to try and reserve it, something would happen. It would drop me off the Wi-Fi and I'd lose that reservation. And I had to try like three or four times then it would disappear for a while. There'd be no reservations available. Then there'd be one available and I'd try and get it and it would drop off again. And it was... I have to admit it was very frustrating. Now, we were in the studio, so it was easy enough to just walk over there and ask for assistance, but I wanted to try and do it through the app. And eventually I got it to work, and I finally found one that was around the same time I had found the first one, and I managed to get it booked and everything worked out fine and it was all good, you know, not, no issues once we got there. But it was just that challenge of trying to get it to work. So between that and the fast pass issues, it was kind of like, wow, this is more challenges than I think I've had in the past. And I was doing it same day. So it was kind of interesting to kind of play it out and see how it worked out. It didn't work out quite as well as I would have liked, but it still was okay. Uh, you, know, as a, you know, as a regular guest, I was willing to put up with stuff like that. We got to see a lot of things. We got to do a lot of things. So I wasn't worried about it. But it was just an interesting little problem. So we picked and chose the things we wanted to get fast passes for. We got them. We went and saw pretty much everything we wanted to. But there was an interesting thing that I noticed as we were going through and using our fast passes and not using our fast passes in some cases. As we went along, I noticed that the standby lines were kind of ridiculously long in some places, like the Haunted Mansion. It's an Omnimover. You're bringing in, you know, however many, a hundred people at a time or some number like that and putting them in the uh, stretch room and then bringing them out and letting them ride on the ride. So it should be constantly moving. The line should be constantly moving. But because of the fast pass line, the standby line was like over an hour at, at times. And that just made it crazy. And there were other places uh, in the Pirates where there was a couple of times when it was over a 75-minute wait. 
And then other times, you know, I went by Peter Pan and we, my son remarked on the fact that Peter Pan was always close to 100 minutes. And I could never understand that. And he, he had that same rationale. It's kind of like it's a constantly moving ride. How is it always that long? Very strange in its own way. But anyway, as we were looking at these things, started noticing that the way they handle the fast pass lines was that they always let the fast pass people go in first. Always. You know, if there's anybody coming for fast pass, even if they're 50 yards off, they're going to hold the line up while they let that person go. So they'll, they're always trying to accommodate them. In some cases, they had ish, technical issues with other things and they'd let the fast pass line just clear out because the line got really long and they'd make the, the standby line even longer. And then there were other factors involved. Uh, the cast member themselves who's running the lines makes a big difference. So that person who's at that merge point where the standby line and the fast pass line comes together, that person can make all the difference between the line being long and the line being short. If the person is really diligent and paying attention and letting people go in whenever there's nobody coming and on a regular interval, they can really make it move. So it's kind of interesting. One time we noticed uh, at Pirates, actually, we, we went in the standby line and it said it was a 30 minute wait, but the cast member at the end, they were pushing people over to the fast pass line as soon as there was nobody coming for fast pass. So we actually only waited about 15 or 20 minutes. It was kind of interesting the way they were doing it. They were trying to manage the lines a little more efficiently and it made a big difference. Uh, kind of funny how that worked because it, it really did keep things going. Now, another thing, just speaking of the pirates, something else I wanted to tell you about was the, um, the pirates ride itself from time immemorial. The thing I remember is the pirates ride, when you come to the end, when you get to the scene where uh, it would have been the two tied up soldiers and now it's uh, Jack Sparrow sitting in the room with the gold, there was always a backup of boats that kind of bumped bumper to bumper there, uh, you know, end to end, all the way back to where the fire scene was. And it was always like that. Maybe it was a little bit shorter, a little bit longer, but there were always boats backed up there. And however they're dispatching the boats, whatever they changed, it's much more efficient now. And I didn't see any boats in front of us. We rode it twice and both times we came right up. There was, there was only the boats that were unloading right in front of us. And then we just got out and we unloaded and we moved on and looked behind and there was no boats waiting. I don't know what they changed exactly. You know, the dispatch times are different. Their unload times are different. Something changed. But it's much more efficient, and we were watching, watching it and just thinking, wow, this is really cool that they're actually able to move them a little bit faster. Now, the other thing that happened was there was a lot of rain, significant amount of rain while we were there. And it was interesting to see the amount of rain that came down and uh, you know how people react to it. Everybody has their own strategy for dealing with rain. Me, I try not to worry about it too much. I got a poncho. I put the poncho on. I'm good. Now, at one point, we were in the studios, and it was raining. It just started to rain, and we decided... We looked at the Toy Story Midway Mania ride, and we were going to ride it anyway. And the wait time was, I think, 60 or 70 minutes. I can't remember. But it just started raining. So we're like, you know what? Let's just get in line. So we hopped in line. We waited through the line. It was about an hour. Uh, we got to the end. We rode it. We had a great time. And uh, we came off, and it was still raining. And we went, okay, that's fine. And we looked over at the fast, at the, uh, the line again. The fast pass line was empty. And they said the wait time was only 20 minutes. So we just jumped right back in line and rode it again right away. And it worked out really well. It was kind of a, you know, lucky break in a way, but it was just sort of haphazard, smart planning for us because we happened to be in the right place at the right time, hopped on the ride as long as it was raining anyway, and just rode the attraction and then just came off and rode it again. And it was really fun. I mean, it was just fun to ride it twice and have a good time with it and really enjoy it and see if my son could beat me. Ha ha, he couldn't. Um, but, <laughs> but it was just fun to, to give it a shot and uh, have a little fun with it and ride the attraction and really just take it in. It was, it was a good time. 
And uh, I really, I really do enjoy that ride. It's a lot of fun. Now, I don't know if you caught this story, but there was a story this week about FastPass Plus making a few changes because some people were abusing the system. Essentially, what people were doing were, was taking old tickets and using the old tickets at a kiosk. Now, those old tickets weren't used for admission to the park, but they still were active in the system. So in those cases, it would be like an older uh, version of your annual pass or maybe your old magic band. So they're still active in the system and they would be able to book another fast pass plus for themselves based on that being active. And I didn't even know that was possible. I never even really thought about it. I assumed they were all tied to one account and that was the end of that. But, or if you didn't use it for admission that you couldn't, you couldn't use it, but apparently you can at the kiosks, only at the kiosks, not in the app, not anywhere else. So apparently there were a lot of people who were taking advantage of this. And again, some of the people who were supremely taking advantage of it were the people who were offering third-party tours into the park where they get you onto the rides as quickly as they can. So what they were doing was they were sending minions out into the park to go ahead and get those fast passes for them so they could uh, use them later in the, later in the day because they had all this admission media that they have over time accumulated because they go to the parks all the time and they're using those to collect fast passes and that way they can get people on rides quickly. How funny. Interesting little twist. So I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that that was the case, but Disney became aware of it and how many fast passes were taken up by people who didn't even have valid admission media because they can go back and check that in the system and discovered that they needed to go back and change their rules. So they did. And they disallowed that from happening. It did cause some problems for regular guests who had fast passes and weren't able to get to some of the things they wanted. It did cancel some fast passes. The way they worked it out was they just basically disabled the person in my Disney experience. They couldn't do anything else and would have to go to guest relations to get it reset. But it did happen to get some people caught up who had regular admission media who were expected to be in the park uh, and uh, had booked fast passes that their fast passes went away. So Disney had to make some amends and make some corrections there. But overall, I think they did a pretty good job of handling it. And I think in the long run, it may help the fast pass system a little bit more. Like I said, I wasn't even aware of it, but what a funny thing to have happen and kind of a funny twist. Oh, and one other thing about the uh, fast passes. When we were going along at one point, uh, my son wanted to ride on Space Mountain. So we walked up to the Space Mountain queue and uh, the, the uh, standby line was uh, off. The number was off. It didn't show you how long the wait, wait time was. And uh, we talked about it for just a minute and we were like, huh. So we asked the cast member and she had said, yeah, the ride's down and should be back up shortly, blah, blah, blah. So we walked away. We did something else. We came back a little while later. It was still down. And then... Uh, we walked away again, and uh, when we came back a little while later, I mean, like, it couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 minutes later that we came back. It had come back just a couple minutes before, and the wait time was already back up to 70 minutes. So I asked, and the reason it had gone back up to 70 minutes was because there were already now all these people in the fast pass line who needed to be able to ride, and they were honoring their fast passes even though they were for a previous time, an earlier time, because the ride had been down for the better part of an hour. So they were taking all the people in whose fast passes had already expired, uh, who couldn't ride it because it wasn't up and running, and were using that and putting them in the system and letting them ride. Uh, and then they were letting people join the standby queue. So by the time you would get up there, they would have cleared out all the fast passes, been back up to normal, and then the line would have already been there. Even though you might have been the 20th person back or something, you still would have had to wait over an hour because they had to let all these fast pass people in. So it kind of goes along with that thought process, right? Interesting how they decide to do that. Now, I can tell you on a positive note, there was a lot of cool surprises around every corner. As we went along and we saw different things and we went into different attractions and we, you know, you try to catch as much as you can. There's a lot of surprises around every corner. At one point, we were just walking up to the Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater. We were getting ready for our dinner reservation. We're walking up 
And there's a cast member standing outside where Mickey and Minnie are meeting. And he says, hey, do you want to meet Mickey and Minnie? There's no wait. It's like, yeah, that's great. So we walked in. We saw Mickey. We saw Minnie. We had a great time. It was, you know, two minutes worth of our time, but it was such a surprise because I didn't expect to see Mickey or Minnie. We're walking along through Frontierland at one point. And there's some of the country bears just dancing in the street. And they're happy to stand and take pictures with everybody and play around a little bit. You know, just those kinds of surprises that are just fun and unexpected and you don't you don't see them coming. I saw the... Um, the robot, I can robot, he's going coming through um, Tomorrowland and he's just coming along and he's just uh, talking to everybody and whatever. And it's just kind of a fun little thing. It's a fun interactive experience that you don't expect. You don't expect to see that, but there he is. And those kinds of things are always kind of fun and when they're unexpected. And a couple of times we were off in uh, the studios and we ran into a couple of stormtroopers and they just, you know, stop us and talk to us for a minute, ask for our papers, whatever or be interacting with some other guests and it was kind of fun. You know, again, you just don't expect that. You don't, you don't know when to, when to, when you're going to experience it. And I will tell you too, that the castle show that they're doing now and the fireworks show that they're doing are just amazing. The way they're able to display images on the castle and they're as crystal clear as, as if they're on a um, two dimensional wall, just amazing. I mean, it's an incredible experience being able to see things like that. So again, back to that idea of seeing things that are just remarkable, unique, and, you know, kind of unexpected. There you go. That fits right in that, in that category. Now I wanted to end with the real reason that we went up to the parks. Yeah, it was great to see my friends. Don't get me wrong. And that was, that was kind of hidden in there somewhere. But one of the reasons we wanted to go up was my son had an interest in doing the behind the steam trains tour at the magic kingdom. This is one where you get to go and uh, go behind the scenes, go back to the monorail and uh, train roundhouse and they take you and they tell you about the history of the steam trains at for Walt Disney, the uh, steam trains that are there at the Magic Kingdom, a little bit of company history. So our tour guide, Michael, he was terrific. He was, he was just amazing, and I thought he did a great job, and I want to give him a little shout-out here. And I did provide feedback at City Hall, just so everyone knows. Always a good thing to do when you meet someone who's, who really wows you. He told us that the uh, tour included three people, those people that love trains, those people that love Disney history, and those people who were dragged here by the, one of the other two. And I thought that was just kind of a funny way to do it. You know, it's kind of a funny approach to the whole thing. So what they do is uh, they, it starts off at 730 in the morning. They meet you at the uh, main gate of the Magic Kingdom. And your tour guide will come and check you in. You get a name tag and a little uh, audio player so you can listen to the entire thing because it can get a little loud when you're on the train. So that way he can talk to you and tell you all the stories and everything. And you can just hear everything as he's, as he's talking. And uh, they come around. You go, you go on to Main Street for a minute and you get to see Main Street with nobody there, which is always a thrill. You know, he had mentioned to me he still loves doing that. And, you know, I used to do that as a cast member and I loved it. And I still remember it well. And when I saw it empty again, I was like, wow, this is just like old times. It's so cool. But anyway, you go out there and you, you get a couple of minutes, then the steam train comes around and you get on the steam train and it takes you around the park and goes back uh, toward Fantasyland, then it backs up into the roundhouse. And so you get to go into the roundhouse and you're standing in there and uh, then they let you off of that train. That train returns to the park and starts its normal operation for the day. But the other train that they have there that's up and running for the day is the one that they'll uh, give you the tour of. You get to stand in the engine. You get to walk around. You get to ask all the questions you want. They tell you everything about it. And then you watch them light it, uh, ignite it, and get it started. The engineer starts it off, starts the fire that actually gets the, uh, the fuel burning and uh, gets the steam up, up to temperature. And then they're ready to go. And it's really cool. I mean, it's just kind of neat to see and watch them do it. Then you stop at the, at the Fantasyland station. You go into the park, stop at the Fantasyland station, and they fill it with water. And you go on to Main Street, and then they take you in, and they tell you some other stories. And you get a collector pin, and it's, 
It's really, really cool. I highly recommend this tour. It is one of the most amazing things I've ever done. My son loved it. It was just so wonderful. And they tell you some great stories, you know, how trains really influenced Walt Disney throughout his life and how trains were an integral part of who he was and how he uh, developed Mickey Mouse while he was on a train back from New York to uh, uh, California. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of a fun series of stories that go through all of this stuff. He talks about the, uh, the Carrollwood and Pacific Railroad that he had out in uh, California that he had built in his, in his garden and uh, how he built a really cool, it was really cool because it went through the yard, the backyard pretty thoroughly and he wanted to come through the front yard, but Lillian told him no. So instead he built a tunnel under the rose bed so that way he could enjoy it. And one of the uh, people who was helping him design the, the tunnel said, you know, it's a lot easier if you just create a straight tunnel uh, that goes through the rose bed. And he goes, yeah, but where's the fun in that? I want to do something that's really different. I want to have that five seconds of dark as we go through here. So that was what it was. It had that jog and it was five seconds of dark as the train went through the tunnel. How cool is that? I mean, you just think about the things that he was doing and why he wanted it to be that way. He wanted it to be special, different and unique. So anyway, they built the trains uh, in uh, Disneyland and uh, Walt had, a, had an active interest in building them. He had a hand in building them. And uh, he actually used to run the trains at times uh, on a weekend. He'd be out there and sometimes he'd be actually manning the trains himself. In Walt Disney World, he had died before the park opened, but he had a couple of people who were instrumental in getting the uh, trains up and running and finding and sourcing the trains. They actually went to Central America and they actually found five trains that they wanted to buy. And those five trains they planned for in the Magic Kingdom. So uh, they brought all five back from... uh, right around Mexico to a uh, Tampa uh, rail facility where they started to restore them. Now, four of the five were in great shape and were able to be easily restored. And those four are the ones that run through the Magic Kingdom today. The fifth one, it turns out, was totally derelict and had no, not enough parts in it to be able to get it up and functioning. So they had to dismantle it and uh, they just used it for parts for the other uh, trains. So they wound up with four steam trains. And the four steam trains are the, uh, the Walter E. Disney, and that's uh, train number one. Train number two is the Lillian Disney. Train number three is the uh, Roger Brogy, And train number four is the Roy O. Disney. So that's the way they set it up. Now, it's interesting that the, the Walt Disney and the Roger Brogy, they call them brother trains because they were created uh, at the same time from the same manufacturer in Pennsylvania, and they have uh, serial numbers that are one after another. So they actually have a, a close connection to each other. And as it turns out, they wanted to name the, the two together. One would be the Walt Disney and the other one would be the Roy Disney. But Roy wanted it to be Walt's train set. So he said, no, I think I'd rather not have a train named after me. So they named it after Brogy. He is the man who was most responsible for creating the trains at the, both of the Disney parks, Disneyland and Walt Disney World. So they named the train after him and it made the most sense because of who he was. Now, of course... Because Lillian always just put up with Disney's obsession with trains. They wanted to name one after her to kind of commemorate the fact that she really put up with him and she really humored him a lot on the trains and how the trains actually worked. And he was so excited about trains and train sets and everything else that they thought it was appropriate to name one after her. Now, he had named a train after her in Disneyland, hoping that she would be more interested. But of course, it didn't really help there either. So those are the four trains that run through the, uh, the Magic Kingdom. And uh, it's interesting to see them, you know, get up and running and, you know, see the, see the power that they have 
Now, currently, the uh, Walter Disney, the Walter E. Disney train is up for refurbishment. It'll be gone for a couple of years. It, it's in a train facility somewhere in the Northeast. I think it's in Pennsylvania somewhere or something. But they're refurbishing it, getting it up and running, and trying to make it more modernized uh, so that it actually will run a little bit differently. They recently got the Lillian Disney train back, and uh, they switched it over to battery-operated instead of fuel-operated. But they're having some issues with getting it running. So right now it is not running, but it is it is there and it should be running soon. So maybe by the next time you go, you'll have a chance to see it running around the tracks. It essentially runs the same. It's more like its original design, even though it's no longer uh, fired by fuel. So kind of interesting, but it, it's really neat. And when you see them, it's really cool. And you see the trains and you see what they can do. It's really pretty fascinating. And, uh, you know, just seeing all the trains out there, it is a really amazing experience. And if you're lucky enough, like we were, to have a monorail come either in or out of the roundhouse above you while you're standing there, you get to see the old against the new, you know, sort of the, the different modes of transportation that come together. And it really is kind of cool. And you learn a lot more about the trains and how they operate and how they're actually almost like living creatures. They have to be, you know, have to be cared for and treated with respect and brought along and you know you can't just turn it over like a car and drive it it doesn't work like that and that's what makes them so fascinating i think it's uh, really neat and when you get up close and personal with them it has a certain feeling i know walt never touched these particular trains but they're just like the ones that he did touch and because it was so near and dear to him it's it had a certain charm to be able to cut, get close to these trains and be able to touch them and stand in the cab and ride on them and be a part of it and, uh, you know, when you look at the machine shop there and the way they get the trains ready, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, the number of things that they go through to get to get the trains ready to run. It's just it's you know, it's more you would think that it's more work than it's worth, but it never is more than it's worth because it has a certain that's what makes Disney Disney. That's what makes it all so special. So if you ever get a chance, I highly recommend that you take the uh, Behind the Steam Trains tour. It is a remarkable tour, well worth doing and uh, a lot of fun. So there you go. That's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 